So good morning to one and all here today to Chartist House Christian Outreach Centre. And if you're joining with us online uh, to the family of God here in the towers, you are all very, very welcome today. I'd like for us, if we could, just go to uh, uh, read Matthew chapter 13. And uh, I'm going to be reading from uh, verses 53 to 57. I'll find it myself right here now. Here we are, Matthew chapter 13, and starting from verses 53. And it says, Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished these parables, that he departed from there. And when he had come to his own country, he taught them in the synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother Mary called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And so they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. I'd like to come back to verse 55 there, and it says there, Is this not the carpenter's son? And uh, what they were basically saying at that moment is, He's just a working class man, amen? This Jesus, he's just a working class man. And so the title of my message this morning is, He's just a working class man. Can anybody identify with Jesus here today? I'm just a working class man. Who, put, who could identify with Jesus when he says, oh, he's just the carpenter's son. Oh, yes, we're just the regular sort of people. And so we see here that to those who knew Jesus most intimately, he was rejected by his own. In other places, his own family rejected him. In fact, most of his brothers did not come to faith in him till after the resurrection. Isn't that astounding? And so there was a spiritual divide in his own house. And so if you've got a spiritual divide in your own house, and uh, don't feel cut up so bad about it because it's a normal thing, a spiritual divide. There is no greater divide in any house than a spiritual divide because out of all those things, it flows. And so the village of Nazareth, they, they rejected him. And uh, he was too common Jesus was too familiar, and in their eyes, Jesus was just too ordinary. Can anybody identify with Jesus here today? I fit into that little description there. Just too common, too familiar, and too ordinary. Well, that's me. Oh, I love the gospel message because I just slot straight into that. Jesus' identity as a natural man, he was born to Mary, we know. And uh, because uh, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, oh, I, I know there would have been a few whispers about the time. And they said, well, Jesus must be an illegitimate son. Oh, I said, there's some people here who could identify with that. Oh, that's quite normal. But born to, born to a woman, he was first, uh, his first bed was a manger used for feeding livestock. Pretty ordinary, isn't it? I fit into that. I was brought up on the brickyard when I was a tiny kid and we had lived in a 24 by 12 garage on the brickyard and so did all my uncles and aunts and cousins. That was our first house, just a garage on the brickyard and uh, pretty ordinary. But the locals probably heard the rumours about Jesus. His father was a carpenter, had a reputation I would say, a good man, solid, reliable, but he was no renowned intellect otherwise it would have said something. He was not from, uh, Joseph wasn't from any military academy, providing the necessary background from which a leader, particularly a Messiah who was to lead the Jewish people out of the, the clutches of every foreign army that ever invaded Israel, as you know, invaded more than 40 times in its history. And Nazareth, of all places, Nazareth. Nathaniel said, can anything good come from there? Remember that? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Meaning it was just a, an ordinary place. It couldn't have been more ordinary, more ordinary for any person in any upbringing. His appearance, 
Jesus' appearance, it talks about it in Isaiah. Contrary to the popular belief, Jesus wasn't tall, he didn't have blonde hair, he didn't have blue eyes, nor did he have a Swedish accent from which our Hollywood movies early depicted him. You see that, all those early movies, you see Jesus, blonde hair, blue eyes, tall, and a Swedish accent. Uh, I've read the scriptures, and none of those scriptures fit Jesus, amen? He was no pretty boy. He was no pretty boy. The Bible says in Isaiah 50, 52, 53, 52 and 53, you read those two chapters together because chapter and verse were put in centuries later, amen? Hundreds and years, hundreds and hundreds of years later, chapter and verse. So you read chapters 52 and 53 together. But it says he has no form. In other words, it meant there was no stately form about Jesus. Nothing. He didn't look like a prince. The word there is says, or comeliness, which means his appearance. And when we see him, it says, there is no beauty. There is no beauty that we should desire him. In verse 3, he is despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, despised, and we esteemed him not. What are those verses saying about the physical attributes of Jesus? It says, Jesus was no poster card, picture boy, pinup. He was no Leonardo DiCaprio, amen? Thank God for that. His message in the eternal destinies of billions was not going to be distracted by an outward appearance. It's true, isn't it? When ministers get up in bright yellow suits, it becomes a distraction to the message of the cross. And I question that sometimes, amen? But Jesus, no picture boy, no picture boy pinup. And so I have found that anything that distracts us from the cross is not of God, particularly in the presentation of the gospel. But it was this very attribute that the multitudes embraced Jesus. What was it about Jesus that really, really attracted the multitudes and multitudes? Going back to Matthew chapter 4, let's go back a few chapters and I'm just going to whisk through these real, real quick. We can see in Matthew chapter 4, he's calling his disciples, fishermen, four of them. By definition, fishermen were unclean in rabbinical law. They were unclean because they handled dead stuff all the time. And so Jesus called those guys. And in verse 23, it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Oh, that's a beautiful scripture. Jesus was amongst the people. What a good preacher. What a good minister. No just platform ministry there. Had his hair blown and under the lights and the smoke machines. None of that. He got in there amongst it. And when he preached up on the mountains, it took a whole heap of effort to get there. Yet the people didn't mind. And they came by their thousands. Thousands and thousands. It says 5,000 men plus women and children came to the serpent on the serpent, the servant, uh, the sermon on the mount. Amen. 5,000 plus the women and children. There's a swag of people, and it was a great deal. I've stood on that hill up there above Galilee. There, it takes a bit of effort to get up there, but they did. Mums and bubs and everybody, they made their way, made themselves comfortable on the grass. Jesus spoke from the top and was an like a natural amphitheater. He didn't need uh, an ivory pulpit, amen? Nothing like that to get the message of the cross. He didn't dazzle them with his appearance, nor did he dazzle them with his eloquence. He, he dazzled them with the salt of the earth attributes. The very reason that I've got Pastor Trevor and Roxanne Cole coming next week. Or you'll be touched by their humility, touched by their true blue nature, and their resilience in ministering 35 years, a thankless task in any country town. And he says, then his fame went throughout Syria, and they brought to him all sick, and all who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Good ministry, isn't it? And he healed them. Signs and wonders and miracles following the preaching of the word. And it says in verse 25, great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, 10 cities which were uh, on the eastern side of the Jordan, 10 cities up there, Jerusalem, Judea, 
and beyond the Jordan. And so, and it says in uh, uh, 4, 23, 5 to 2, and Jesus went about Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel. That's a good thing to preach, isn't it? We can preach a whole heap of stuff, but Jesus preached the gospel. And in fact, the book of Acts says if we preach anything except Jesus, it is actually not the gospel at all. It says that they called it another gospel, which is not a gospel. That's, that's what they say. And uh, I'll just finish right down to uh, chapter 5. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. When he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and we know the Beatitudes, the blessings. And there's eight of them there. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We think, well, that doesn't sound so exciting. But the poor in spirit are those who recognize their state without a relationship with God are very, very poor and broken and wretched and needy and and everything else. If you haven't got Jesus, if you haven't got God in your life, you are poor and wretched. Blessed are the poor in spirit because they realize their position and then they come to God in humility and he makes them whole. You and I are made whole because of our relationship with Jesus. It's a good stuff. And so when we go through these gospel accounts, Jesus begins to preach in Matthew chapter 5, and it's quite a, a lengthy discourse, really. And uh, he goes right through to chapter 6, and right through the end of chapter 6, and then he comes right through to chapter 7. Nearly all these three chapters are all written in red, so it's a Jesus is preaching the Beatitudes from that mountain. And these concluding verses in chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching. Was it his looks? Was it his presentation? Was it the dazzling full screen, the lights and the smoke machines? Oh no, not one of those things did Jesus have. And yet the people were astonished at his teaching. And says so, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. What did they compare? What did the common people compare Jesus' ministry with? It was always this antagonistic relationship between Jesus and all the scribes and the Pharisees, the Sadducees and everybody else. And so that was always in the gospel accounts, presented. Jesus here, meek and mild, presenting the gospel in a very, very salt and light, ordinary way compared to the eloquence, the intellectuals and the temple system down there in Jerusalem and everywhere else. But Jesus would have none of it. And so... uh, There isn't that natural antagonism between the ministry of Jesus, and I'll use a word here, and the rhetoric and the rod of religion which had become a burden to the people. Who knows that word rhetoric these days? I think we all do really know rhetoric is just the blah, 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 talking heads of what we see on TV day in and day out, day in and day out. On the talk show hosts and everything, everybody's got an opinion. They're like armpits. We've got two of them and they usually stink. (laughs) And everybody feels the need to express their opinion. But they climbed the hills and they camped overnight just to hear the Nazarene. Oh, it's fantastic stuff. They went out into the wilderness. I didn't care. Beyond. In Matthew 14, 13, it says, Jesus went to a deserted place. And when you go to the foothills of Judea, oh, it's a barren place. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities, carrying their water things and carrying their children and carrying a bit of bread. Not easy going. But when you are hungry for the things of God, it seems like no effort, no effort to do these things. He spoke not as the scribes and Pharisees, but as one having authority. His motivations were easily read by the multitude. Or you can see the motivation of people when they speak. We can hide it for a little while, but after a while, somehow it just comes out, doesn't it? People get to know you real quick. They want to know if you're the real deal. 
the real McCoy. They want to know if you're true blue or fair dinkum, the most powerful word in the English language in Australia. Fair dinkum. Are you fair dinkum? If you preach the gospel and you're fair dinkum like Jesus was fair dinkum, multitudes will come. It's interesting to note that the common sense, they came to common ground and they found common ground in the message of Jesus. I was always thought it's interesting to note that common sense is most often referred to as the possession of the common man. Oh, on the TV, they don't place a great value on the common man. And they want to dictate to us and tell us how our lives should be run. But the common man is not a silly man. Common sense it doesn't seem to be that common in the, in the corridors of power anymore. But it's certainly still common out here when you go to the back blocks of Charters Towers. Everyday people, that's you and I. Is there any everyday people here today? Put up your hand if you're an everyday bloke. You just like straight sh shooting, ain't man? If you're an idiot, you don't mind being told so, so you can pull your head in. I like the way things used to be run on the building sites years ago. There was no political correctness there. If there was some turkey on the job site, everybody felt the need to share and tell him so. Amen? It was straight, and a person had the ability to pull his head in or ship out. I like that sort of stuff, really. Amen? Do you? Straight-talking uh, people? I like straight-talking people. I've been told to pull my own head in a few times myself. Hey, who here has been told? But anyway, everyday people with everyday needs. And Jesus identifies people and he identifies with you having everyday needs. We're called salt of the earth, attributes that we admire when we see them. And our greatest disappointment is when we don't see these attributes in the leaders of the nation, amen? But when we do, let's back those people, support those people because we do have some of these people. I looked up the word salt of the earth uh, on, on, the, on Google. I googled salt of the earth a couple of weeks ago, and, and I got a whole heap of these names. But really, when you have a look at it, the ministry of Jesus, it's just salt of the earth stuff. I'm going to rattle these off, and these are the sort of attributes you should be looking in yourself, as well as your leaders. Upright, worthy, immaculate, kosher. Truthful, eminent, religious, exemplary, respectable, conscientious. Now, there's a good place in the workplace, isn't there? Honourable, seemingly upright, person in high favour, praiseworthy, me, just and noble. Noble is a, is a word almost forgotten. Who's ever called any of our leaders these days noble? I've never heard that word. I don't know, I think I've heard that word for years. Legitimate, estimable, straight shooter. I like straight shooters. Do you like straight shooters? People who tell you how it is, but do they, uh, do they uh, lack all uh, personable skills? No, but people who are able to bring uh, something straight, favoured, acclaimed, excellent, celebrated, incorruptible. Oh, isn't that a good attribute? Incorruptible. Are you incorruptible? When the almighty dollar comes your way, do you bend at the knees? Reliable, courteous, true blue, straightforward, moralistic, of good uh, repute, principled, square. Yes, it's okay to be square. You see, that word there is associated to being salt of the earth. Flamboyant is not in here, in this list. Well presented and all that sort of stuff. Upstanding, modest. That's another bygone word, modest. Jesus was modest. Didn't never promoted himself, but he always promoted the Father. Have we lost that attribute of modesty? Dependable, blameless, correct, pure, saintly, notable, virtuous, laudable, chaste, esteemed, famous, elevated, honoured, moral, faithful, scrupulous, meritorious, right, distinguished and famed, well thought of, proper, sincere, dutiful, creditable, prominent, illustrious, kindly, innocent, Oh, there's another good one, innocent. What about the way we dress? Is there some sort of innocence about it? Is there a modesty about it? Above board, honest, renowned, good person, decorous, straight, decent, fair, high-minded. You see, general common people in Jesus' day and to this very day, they're not easily duped or have the wool pulled over their eyes. You and I have a discernment when we look through the lens 
of people's lives and what we're surrounded by, you're not easily duped. They were from the land, growing crops, raising cattle and sheep. And the people of the land in those days, they knew the price of a, of, of a, of a lamb. And when they went to Jerusalem to do sacrifice, they had to purchase the local lambs at incredibly inflated prices. That's what happened. The, t- the temple system had become so totally corrupt with the Roman political system, the religious system. It was one toxic mix of lies. And the common people weren't falling for it. They knew they were paying exuberant prices to do their worship at the temple. And uh, they were fishermen in the region of Capernaum. Fishermen, basket weavers and potters. That's us. We're common people. Not easily duped. Those who had soft hands and had no calluses were easily recognized in the region as, as visitors. Amen? They weren't from that cushy sect. He, Jesus came across as a common man and he was embraced by the common man. Amen? And nobody has done more for the common man in all the earth than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nobody has stood up, no government system, although we've had one of the, most, the, one of the best government systems in all the earth, has been here in Australia. Not without fault, no. But Jesus has done more for the common man in every facet. And whenever the gospel has come into any nation of any land in all the earth, the people have been the greatest beneficiaries. Oh, yes, they have. He had wide appeal to the masses. To those in the pews, Jesus had wide appeal. Where was he condemned? He was rejected by those in the pulpit. Isn't that amazing? And whenever you see a mighty move of God, there's always, always a massive rejection from the churches in their pulpits. But the people in the pews always embrace the move of God. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that glorious? His disciples were primarily from the working class. Not all. None were from Gamaliel's Bible seminary. Not one. Not one. He ministered among the people. And we can think sometimes, uh, like some of our greatest generals uh, through all of history were those generals who fought with their men. Who fought with their men. He identified with the men. Alexander the Great was still one of the greatest generals in all the earth, injured and almost mortally wounded so many, many, many times. And he fought from the front. Jesus never asked anything of anybody that he wasn't prepared to do himself. And that's the gospel. And that's the attribute in us, that humility in us. Even as when you're in a position of influence, you will lead from the front. You will lead in doing and leading and guiding and being with your people. And I think that Christian leaders and people of influence in our community should be some of the best. A Jesus ministry wasn't conducted on the marble floors and between the columns of the elites. No, he wasn't. His ministry was always in the back blocks till he had to contend with the religious authorities and the, the political towns in Jerusalem. Jesus ministered among the people where they were at. I'll go to 1 Corinthians 1.26. Hopefully I can find it there. And this is Paul speaking. And he says, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that's you brothers and sisters, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, and so this is the appeal to the common man, to every man. And when I say man, the Bible speaks of man, woman, and our whole, our whole lot. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things of the mighty, which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. You see, God has used predominantly throughout the ages, or he's used common people to do extraordinary things. It's a glorious 
the gospel because it makes a way for the masses of all the earth. Jesus had empathy. And we see, uh, let's go to Matthew eleven twenty-eight. I'm sticking mainly in Matthew because that's Jesus' ministry. And you know the scripture, some of you will know it by heart. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And it should be written in there because I know what it's like. I just feel God, Jesus was saying that to me this morning. Come to me, all you who are heavy, a labor and are heavy laden, because I know what it's like. Jesus knows where you're at. He knows the burdens of life. He says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. He says, I know the weight of your burden. I know the weight of your burden. Sometimes you come home after work, Friday afternoon, it's been a big week, contentions at work, pressures have been on, and Jesus says, come to me, because I know what that burden feels like. I know what it's like. If you felt alone in those situations, Jesus is reassuring you, I know what it's like. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Jesus speaks your language. Oh, he does. He used metaphors and parables and all those sorts of things. He used the language of the multitude. He wasn't a flamboyant. He talks about crops. He talks about herds and cattle and goats and sheep, light and dark. All the simple, all the simple illustrations that he could use that the people experienced every single day of their life. He used the common man's language, and there was never ambiguity in how Jesus preached. It's not. If you want to pick up things of contention, well, there's a contentious spirit within because Jesus spoke with clarity exactly what he meant. He ministered to men and women and children. He had deep concern for the vulnerable, deep concern. I worked with a guy once, and he says, oh, look at this hospital here. It's filled with people that are just a burden to our society didn't come to me straight away, but the role of the strong was always to defend the weak. And the gospel is always like that. The gospel, the way Jesus preached it and the way it's to be lived, will always defend the weak. Amen? And humanity across the earth has been blessed by the teachings of Jesus and the gospel and the person and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which allows us or empowers us to live this way. Deep concern for the nursing infants and children. Deep concern for orphans and the poor and the alien living amongst the people. He was deeply concerned for the despised, the prostitute, the sinner, the leper and the outcast. He was deeply concerned about those who were wronged and who had no voice. And he said throughout his word, it is a sin for us to remain silent when we should speak up. It takes courage to do that. It takes courage to do that today to speak up when we're intimidated, to be quiet. But the message is the same to all. Don't stay where you are, but come to me. Jesus said, come to me. His appeal was to all of humanity, all of the common people, to the prostitute. He said, come to me. He says, don't stay a prostitute. He says, I will deliver you. I will empower you. I will love you. I will embrace you. Oh, yes, don't stay in your sin. Don't do that. Jesus said, come to me. So it takes, uh, the greatest move of God is sometimes taking one step towards God. People are here over and over again praying for a move of God when we ourselves have not made any effort to take a step closer to God. You're as close to God as you were a year ago or a week ago. our, Our spiritual walk should progress. Think about it. Where were you this time last year and your spiritual walk? Are you Are you stagnant? I encourage you, get up and go and take a step closer towards God. Amen? So he had substance. Jesus had substance with every word and sentence that he spoke. With with very few words, he spoke volumes. And you could preach on every single verse that he preached because the, the depth and substance was immense. Not a word was spoken to demonstrate his education, intellect, or self-promotion. Every word that Jesus spoke was to convey. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, 
and that he himself was the door to come to the Father. All Jesus' words could be contained in that verse. We've heard of this word called rhetoric. In other words, coming out of Canberra and every other place like it. People of influence and this and that. We talk of talking heads. Another word for talking heads is blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Who's had enough of that? You want something's real. Jesus spoke with clarity. Jesus didn't speak above us. He spoke to the heart of men. Oh, he didn't speak to our minds. Jesus always spoke to the real issue, which was the heart of men. And the heart of men, above all things, is most deceitful. And the heart of men can be addressed by the word of God, which has the ability to sever every unrighteous thing. Amen? It's a little saying that empty vessels make the most sound. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? The most sound. When people use a hundred words to describe something that could be said in two, it's a, a terrible thing. I was, I was thinking about it again this morning, and I... Uh, there's a collective noun for a group of believers is called a church. Is that true, isn't it? When we all come together, that's called a church. A collective group of animals, we've got a herd of cows, we've got a, a flock of chickens, we've got schools of fish and gaggle of geese, we've got a pride of lions and a murder of crows and a congress of owls. owls. So at least the American Congress is named after something that's a little wise. But consider a group of baboons. They're the loudest, they're the most dangerous, most obnoxious, most viciously aggressive, and least intelligent of all the primates. That's a baboon. But believe it or not, the collective term for a parliament, the term is called uh, a baboon. Amen? That's the collective, the collective group of baboons is called a parliament. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? You have to laugh. Now, I know some people, some really, really good people, representatives in our parliament. And so it's a, it's a bit of a, a rule of the thumb sort of thing. But Jesus here is his people, his audience, his crowd, the masses, the crowds, of the multitudes of people. They're not duped and they don't have the wool pulling over their eyes. And the common man can see through all the jargon. He can see through all the blah, blah, blah. He can see through all the rhetoric and come to the real deal. And Jesus, with very few words, just says, come to me. I'll deliver you from all that stuff. Amen. In recent days have been confirmed that. And we see the whole of the nation voting on something, and the only group of people was in the ACT who said exactly the opposite. In other words, the, there was a small group in a very, very small place who did not have the heart of the people right through the rest of the land. And so, but we see the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him in Matthew 3, 16. And, uh, and it's called, a group of doves is called an exaltation of doves. Isn't that beautiful? An exaltation of doves is what a collective group of doves is called. And so I like to think that the church is an exaltation of doves. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's a beautiful picture. Verbosity is a, an amazing word. And it's just, to, it, it's just a, a word which describes people who have the ability to use a whole heap of words when they can use something simple and very, very few. And I, I found uh, there was this man, uh, a, a British statesman, and you may know him as Benjamin Disraeli. He dis died in 1881. And he's, I suppose he was describing uh, somebody who was having a go at the Prime Minister, and his name was Prime Minister Gladstone. And he says... That, he says of this, and it's a famous statement, he says, a sophistical rhetorician, inebriated with the exuberance of his own verbosity, gifted with the egotistical imagination that can at times command an interminable and inconsistent series of arguments to malign opponent and to glorify himself. <laughs> he didn't have, he didn't have the, a bad gift of verbosity himself, did he? But that's what he spoke about the Prime Minister of the land in, the, in Parliament in England at the time, inebriated with his own words. Jesus was not inebriated with his own words. He spoke directly, and he speaks to the common man, you and I today, and the greatest beneficiary of all the gospel message that Jesus came to deliver, to set us free, 
is Jesus Christ. More than any government department, oh yeah, is the person of Jesus Christ. But his motivation, not for votes, to remain in power or to regain re-election. It was never considered his kingdom because he preached the kingdom that was his father's kingdom. He never elevated himself. And the motivation over and over again in at least five of the miracles I can see, he was moved with compassion. And therefore the demonstration of the Spirit's power and healing came to those people. What was the motivation for Jesus to heal? It wasn't even for a demonstration of the Spirit's power, but it was just he was moved with compassion. You and I, our greatest motivation for anybody to pray or to do this, to do that, for everything that you do in life, you should be moved with compassion. Compassion is a, an attribute that we're not known for anymore, but should come and re-emerge and surface again in our lives. Oh, put on compassion. It's not, you're not a softie. Or people say, oh, he's just a soft one, that one. He's just, he's just motivated by, you know, he's, he's not strong. Jesus is strong. He had bridled, he had, there was a grace about Jesus, which means he had a bridled strength about him. Having, he had that, at his disposable 12 legions of angels, which is 6,200 angels. One angel appears before a man, and the first thing they say is, fear not. Imagine if, if there was 60-odd thousand angels. Amazing, isn't it? In Matthew 12, 38, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, we want to see a sign from you. This is in contrast now. That's Jesus' ministry. But what was the ministry of the day offering down there in Jerusalem? The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They say, we want to see a sign from you. The only reason that Jesus did see signs and wonders because he was moved with compassion. It wasn't a, a circus nor a show a demonstration of his spirit's power. Jesus heals a man with a withered hand and they plotted against him how they might destroy him. Isn't that incredible? Jesus heals someone, he's moved with the compassion and yet the religious order of the day and that same spirit is on, that same murderous spirit still operates in the church to this very day. To this very day. I could give you more examples of it. We don't have enough time. And I always say, beware of ministries that seem to gain elevation by pull other, pulling other ministries down. We all have different ministries. You have a different ministry to the person sitting next to you. And you're in a lane. And my advice always, as the Word of God says, I think is stay in your own lane. You may not understand everybody else's ministry. Don't I, we don't even understand all other, other denominations. I don't understand other churches of our same denomination. Amen. And uh, we're not to be like that at all. But ministers and ministries and churches and you even as individuals are in a lane. Stick to your lane. And then when you don't understand what others are doing, don't be very, very careful. Bring him to somehow try and elevate ourselves by pulling others down. And the internet is just an absolute hive of activity of people who are pulling others down, other people down, to try and elevate themselves. I say just... Don't say anything, just click the channel. You have the remote, you have the power. Say, I have the power. Oh, come on, let's say it. I have the power. I have the remote. Change channel. <laughs> you have the power. Whenever stuff comes up on the, on the TV, amen, there's a lot of stuff that comes up, it's just here and there and everywhere. You have the power, turn, change the channel or turn the TV off. Amen? Woe to those who called things evil good. And uh, it used to be called the idiot box, but now it's called the smart TV. I don't, get, I don't get that. Who remembers it being called the idiot box? Nobody ever called it a smart TV, but today we call evil good. Amen? We call it a smart TV. I want to say you have the remote. You have the power. What you feed on, what you feed your spirit, affects you deeply. Affects you deeply. What you sow to... You will, if you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. But I want to say, the power is in your hand, amen? Get that remote and change it more often than we should. Uh, change it more often than we do now. But on a continual basis. And so, uh, but when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there. 
And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make himself known. Jesus was not after any popularity contest. So it wasn't notoriety that Jesus sought. He didn't seek notoriety. In fact, he ran from it. He didn't care what the polls said. He was not looking for the front page in the Charisma magazine. Amen? He wasn't looking for that. Even amongst his peers, he wasn't looking for any of that. And so in Matthew 12, 18 to 21, I, I'm not going to read it all now for the sake of time, but he's described here in reference to an Old Testament scripture. God says, behold my servant. Oh, isn't that good? Jesus himself came not to, serve, to be served, but to serve. That's what, I am here as a servant of the Lord. I don't come here so that you would serve me, which is, is, is what how some places are structured, but I am here to serve you. That's a, a humility post that we're supposed to take out, to take up. There is no greater advocate to the average Australian than the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to say that Jesus is your champion. If you're poor, he's your champion. If you're, if you're an orphan, he's your champion. If you're a widow, he's your champion. If you're an alien in this land and feel ostracized, Jesus is your champion. Jesus and the cross is the great leveler, or the greatest leveler in all the earth. Couldn't be a bigger one yet. There is no greater advocate in the whole of the earth than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the plight of all humanity is alleviated when the gospel is preached. In 1517, an amazing event happened. It was bringing to a close the medieval period. The medieval period was quite dark. And one of the reasons it was dark, it was because there was no light. That's profound, isn't it? I thought I'd share that. What brought an end to the darkness? In those times, the Bibles was, uh, uh, was printed in Latin and it was bolted or chained to the church wall. Nobody could read it. In fact, most of the priests couldn't read it. And that became evident. Everybody, they were winging it for about uh, uh, nearly a thousand years. Most of the priests were winging it once it was translated into Latin. They were winging it. They did not have a clue. But what happened is Martin Luther nailed 95 theses on the castle door in Germany and they were a repudiation of, of, uh, they were a repudiation of a religious system that had become corrupt. And it's happened to just about every institutional Christian organisation ever since. Don't think we're not immune to it. But in 1517, Martin, on the 31st of October, Martin Luther nailed these 95 theses. It sparked what is known as the Reformation. And Martin Luther probably would be the most influential period person in the whole of history, apart from Jesus Christ, Paul and Peter himself. What happened is he brought the light of God burst through into the major continent of Asia and into all Europe. And he, he translated in an amazing period of about two weeks, he translated the whole of the New Testament and gave the German people their language. Somebody else did the very, very same and translated the, the, uh, the Bible into the English language and gave the English people their own consolidated language. In fact, in many, many countries throughout the entire earth, their languages were brought in from all these different tribal areas, consolidated, and they were consolidated with the Word of God. Amen? And out of this here, the Reformation in 1517, it sparked, and the Word of God uh, lit up the whole of the continent. The Renaissance was birthed out of the Reformation. Light came, education came, health came, uh, services and uh, every good thing that has been given to humanity was, a, humanity was a, as a result of the gospel being given to the common man, the written word of God in their own common language. When the common man gets the gospel, oh, it improves the lot of every single person in that whole community. It's a good thing when the gospel comes to a land. And the Bible says, how blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. I want to say that there is no better advocate to your life than the person of Jesus Christ, no matter where you are. And Jesus said, uh, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. I'll just quickly go there before uh, I ask Jules to come to the keys.
and Matthew uh, chapter 6. And here it is in verse 25, written in red. Jesus said, therefore I say to you, this is the common man he's speaking to here. This is you and I. This is you and I. We've got bills to pay. We've got relationships to work through. We've got children to bring up and to raise and to work with while they have their own children. We've got education. We've got to put food upon the table. People get sick. People get jobs. People lose jobs. It's called life. But Jesus is there for every step. Jesus said to the multitude, 5,000 men plus women and children, he says, therefore I say to you, he says, do not worry about your life. That's what Jesus is saying to today. Grace is given to you every day, every day. And that's why he said, don't worry about tomorrow because an, an extra supply of grace will be given to you tomorrow. He says, what, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put in, put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And verse 33, he goes on to say, he says, to put it all into perspective. He says, if you will do this, the rest of your life will fall into line. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We have many needs as a common man, common woman. We've got mothers raising children, raising grandchildren, all these beautiful things. Life is not a box of chocolates. It's just a box of chocolates, I heard. You never know what's going to come our way sometimes. It's like that. And you can't prepare for everything. But Jesus said, you don't have to. You don't have to. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, he says, I will give you rest. What a promise. He said, I will. This is, this is Jesus, the son of the man, the sovereign of the universe, the monarch of the universe. He's saying, and he cannot lie. He says, I will give you rest. Jesus resonated in the hearts of the people and he spoke to the hearts of the people and they responded. In 1985, there was a, there was a song which made the charts in Australia made popular by a great theologian named Jimmy Barnes. <laughs> and, the song, and the song was Working Class Man. Who remembers that song? And it resonated in the hearts of Australians all around, didn't it? And they, people thought that Jimmy Barnes was the working class man but it attracted the attention of Australians because he was speaking to the average working class man. Working hard to make a living, bringing shelter from the rain. In other words, a roof over your head. A father's son left to carry on blue denim in his veins, just wore ordinary clothes. Jesus wore ordinary clothes and he spoke to people who were wearing ordinary clothes. Well, he's a steel town disciple. He knew what it was to work in industry. Work up a sweat when you're out in the paddock and the sweat's just running into your eyes and stings your eyes. Who knows what that feels like? He's a legend of his kind, running like a cyclone across the wild Midwestern sky. He's a working class man. Believes in God and Elvis. He gets out when he can. He did his time in Vietnam, still mad at Uncle Sam. He's a simple man with a heart of gold. In a complicated land, he's a working class man. Jesus spoke to the multitudes on that mountain 2,000 years ago. And the people and the message that Jesus preached resonated in the hearts of every man, woman, child. And they responded. The pulpits rejected him, but the pews did not. I'm speaking to people in the pews. I want to say Jesus is your best advocate. He stands between heaven and earth as the cross stands between heaven and earth. And he bled and died for your sin and for mine. He loves you. He loves you so intently. He has a purpose for your life, for your education in the future. Who will you marry? Where will you live? Where will I build a home? How can I pay for it? What are the interest rates doing? What are this? And he says, oh, don't worry about those things. He says, place me first. Seek ye me first in the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'll look after the details. Jesus loves you. He loves you. 
He loves you. He's given you a future and a hope. And I pray in Jesus' name that you open up that Bible and allow Jesus and the Holy Spirit to speak into your life. He sees the sicknesses in your home. He sees the financial burdens that come and go. He sees the times of prosperity and the times of want. Jesus is aware of all these things and he experienced all these things. He thirsted, he hungered. At the Garden of Gethsemane, he bled sweats of drob, uh, sweats of blood for you and for I. Oh, he saw and he went to the cross. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, Lord God. Amen. And he went to the cross for you and I today. The working class man, the masses across the face of the earth and the simple message of the gospel. It's not full of rhetoric. It's not full of double talk. It's a straight shooting message. Come to me. Come to me. If you've never come to Jesus, today is a great day. Today is your day. Just come to Jesus. Come to Jesus as a prostitute, as a sinner, as a this or a that. Jesus acknowledges all these things in, as a leper in your uncleanness. Just come to Jesus. Come to Jesus with your addictions and allow the power of God to begin to work in your life because these are things you are never designed to do work alone, to do life alone. You're never designed to do that. So place your hand in the hand of the man who stilled the water and do it today in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for this people. Let the blessing of heaven, Father, rest upon them. I pray for families right, right now. Sicknesses be gone in Jesus' name. Anxiety be gone in Jesus' name. Finances fall into the provision of God. Father, I pray for relationships be restored and the peace of God which surpasses all understand as understanding. Let it flood into the hearts of the people here today. The ordinary people, the common people, that's us. I pray in Jesus' name. We love you, we honor you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.